wonderful merciful savior what a beautiful song glory to jesus we'd like to continue to worship the lord by reading the scriptures please turn your bibles at john 21 i will read from verses 15 through 19 it's a one of the last uh, appearance of Jesus to his disciples or to a group of his disciples after his resurrection. Verse 15, John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Please be seated. First of all, I would like to bring greetings to you from the church uh, New Hope in Zaragoza. Vaduc salutări din de la Biserica Noua Speranță din Zaragoza, Spania, in Spain, unde prin harul Domnului am, uh, am slujit în dimineața aceasta, în duh, uh, la ora 6 dimineața, uh, am avut un mesaj. I had a message for this church and they send you greetings in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus Christ. My beloved, the title of my message this morning is How Can God Forgive Me? How Can God Forgive Me? It was borrowed from the movie, some of you have seen this movie, Unplanned. The true story of Abby Johnson was a former Planned Parenthood director and she left the abortion business after she witnessed a an ultrasound guided abortion. He, she was just devastated. I saw the movie. It was a, an amazing movie. I invite you to, to watch this movie. This is the crucial question. How can God forgive me when she was faced with the burden, with, with the guilt of overseeing over 20,000 abortion in her clinic? And her husband assured her, if you come to God, come to Jesus, and just come to, to him with your rent heart, he will heal your heart and will forgive you. She, she could not accept that. How can God forgive me? And her husband was simply, because he is God. Because he is God. Also, perhaps, due to the fact that in the last couple of months, 
the Lord has given me the task to tend to a very young, to a young Christian, young in faith, who got lost and got poisoned by false teaching. And the Holy Spirit taught me and guided me to teach on this foundation, an essential subject that reflects the Father's heart uh, and what the way Jesus described his messianic mission on this earth. When Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek what was lost. And when God himself says he was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So this is the subject that I will uh, preach and teach this morning. And the Bible is actually highly realistic. The Bible never varnishes, never, you know, uh, paints over rust, always looks at the, uh, the situation, the circumstance with real eyes and describes the failures of God's people in a very realistic way. But rather is not to shame them, to put them down, but to amplify God's forgiving grace. The grace of rehabilitating people. Human failures are painful, devastating, and produce depressive states, despair, dark thoughts, even suicidal thoughts like in the case of Judah who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then like Peter, he could have come to Jesus and said, Lord, I am just a miserable being. Please forgive me. I guarantee you that God would have forgiven Judah. But Satan pushed him into those dark thoughts of suicide. And he committed suicide. Many believers want to know nowadays in the 21st century, what God feels and what does he think when they when we are failing morally, what is going through God's heart and mind? Does God still love me after I sinned? This is the question that many Christians are repeating in their hearts and their minds. What is going in God's heart when I go bankrupt spiritually, emotionally, relationally? When I look at the things that I should be looking what God does think, what does he think when I blow up and lose my temper, maybe with my wife or your husband or with your children or with, with one another? What about when I hate somebody, when I gossip, when I slander, when I betray God through my own behavior? People know that I'm a Christian, but at my workplace, people say, what is wrong with this guy? He thinks, he say loudly that he's a Christian or she's a Christian, but her life does not reflect that. Where is God when I do all of these? But we don't have to guess because the Bible tells us about the rehabilitation of many characters in the scripture, many people in the Bible that failed miserably. They became bankrupt morally, spiritually, relationally. And in tune with the year of the Bible, 2020, I would like this morning to answer this question. What the Bible says about divine forgiveness? What the Bible says about divine forgiveness? And today's passage describes the story of the, the apostle Peter, very well known 
I preached several times. I heard pastors see me preaching several times from this passage and other brothers, preachers from this church. And we know Peter that he was one of the most intimate, closest of the followers of Christ. From the 12, he was in that very limited group of three, the closest of the disciples that followed Jesus. And he was personally invited by Jesus to follow him and to, uh, Jesus invested in him a lot of trust. And he witnessed all of his miracles, even those miracles that Jesus just took Peter, James, and John in to witness that those particular uh, miracles. He was personally mentored by Jesus to become a leader. But on the night when he was arrested, Jesus pulled Peter to the side and told him that he was just about to be betrayed by Judas and to be arrested, to be judged, to be put to death. And he encouraged him to become, to step into that leadership position to strengthen and encourage the other disciples. But Peter looked Jesus straight in his eyes and said, you can count on me. I will never, even if the other ones will turn their backs to you, I will never turn my back on to you because I'm faithful to you. You can count on me. Even if I go to my own death. And Jesus looked to Peter and said, Really? The night will not be over when you will deny me three times. And I imagine Peter said, What? What are you talking about? I'm even more so convinced that I will be standing up for you. And we know that he tried, he pulled his sword and he tried to fight off Jesus' arrest. But just as Jesus predicted that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was arrested. He was judged, put to death, crucified. And when he was taken away by, by those soldiers, Peter walked behind from a distance by the way to the palace of the high priest. And in that night, a young servant and other people asked three times, Peter, aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his disciples? Even your speech, your accent tells us that you are one of his disciples. I said three times. No, I never knew this guy. He denied Jesus three times and a third time. And chapter 22 in, in the Gospel of Luke tells us this detail that other Gospels don't give us. The moment he said a third time, the rooster crowed and Jesus looked into the eyes of Peter. It was just a charcoal fire there. Because it was cold and people were trying to get some heat to warm themselves. And Jesus looked. I imagine that eyes burning Peter in his soul. Burning Peter into his conscience. As he denied 
He went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says in Luke 22, verse 62. And let me tell you, my brother and my sister, those of you who are listening online, or maybe right here in a, in a sanctuary, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have on your conscience as of right now, I cannot imagine a more complete failure than that of Peter on that night. Jesus designed him to be a leader. He changed his name and his destiny and his function in the body of Christ. You are Simon, but I call you Peter because on this rock I will build my church. He was to be one of the foundation, foundational pieces in the architecture, spiritual architecture of, of this, the church. But Peter denied Jesus three times. And in, in that hour, everything was demolished. In his mind, everything was lost. Can you imagine the depth of sorrow and pain and self-blame and guilt and shame that Peter felt in that moment? And the eyes of Jesus, I just cannot imagine how piercing those eyes. Have I not told you? And Peter knew that he had totally screwed up. He knew that he, he demolished all the hopes that were placed on him. Everything that Jesus predicted was fulfilled that night. He was crucified, buried. But on the third day, Mary comes running and said, the stone was rolled away and the body of Jesus is not in the tomb. Imagine what was going in the mind of Peter. Wow, he's alive. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stand face to face. Those eyes will look at me again. He knew that he deserved complete rejection. He knew that he didn't deserve a second chance. Perhaps Satan, who's so good to come and place these kind of thoughts in our hearts when we are down, he's not ashamed to kick us when we are down and failed. Probably brought to the memory, to the mind of, of Peter, the words of Jesus who said, for whoever is ashamed of me, the son of man, will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. But Peter longed for his for forgiveness. He hoped for a second chance. But Satan assured him, there's no forgiveness for you. There's nothing worse and more despicable, more atrocious than what you've done. So what did Peter do? Peter was sure that Jesus completely rejected him. And rightly so in his mind. And I wonder, is anybody in this audience... Maybe you're in your couch. Maybe you're still in your bed, but you opened Bethesda.com live. Maybe you sip your coffee. But I'm asking you, are you there right now like Peter thinking that what you have done is total and complete rejection from God for you? Do you feel like there's nothing between you and God because you messed up 
Because you sin so, so big and now you don't think there's another chance for you. And Peter went fishing because he returned to what he was doing before he met Christ Jesus. He went fishing. But you remember, do you remember their first meeting? Peter toiled all night and he was a fisherman. He knew his stuff. He fished all night and got nothing. Nil, zada, nada. And here comes this stranger. Says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? Man, what are you talking about? I told all night, there's nothing to fish in this lake. Not tonight, maybe tomorrow. Just throw one more time. And he did. And when he pulled the net, he fell on his knees. He said, depart from me because I'm a sinner. Lord, depart from me. He knew that he witnessed a divine miracle. He knew that the person that he was standing in front of him was not a, a, a normal individual. Peter told, was told by, by, by Jesus... I will make you a fisherman of men, of human souls. Follow me. And he did. He left everything, the nets, the boat, the fishing. But now Peter has abandoned Jesus and he was absolutely sure that Jesus didn't want to, do, to have anything to do with him. So he went fishing. But like a copy, carbon copy, it was that night with a couple of other disciples. He fished and he got nothing. In the morning, verse 4 in chapter 21 says Jesus was standing on a beach. And what happened next was exactly, almost an exact repeat of the first time when Jesus met Peter. Peter was fishing and not catching anything, but Jesus comes and says, throw it on the right side. The net became, became filled with fish. What is the meaning of this story? One of the meanings, at least, that I see here in this passage is that Jesus is saying to Peter, let's go back to the first meeting. Let's, there be, let there be a new beginning Let's restart. Let's go to the default. Let's go back to the square one. When they got ashore, Jesus was standing near a charcoal fire, the same kind of fire that Peter denied Jesus three times. But this time this fire is a fire of hope. It's a fire of renewal. It's a fire of forgiveness. Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus repeated the same question because Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter understands that for each of the denials, he will ask Peter three times, do you love me? 
When we are failing, my beloved, young folks, when we are denying Jesus through our life, through our actions, through our behavior, you know what's going into the mind of your heavenly father? Does he, does she love me? Jesus didn't ask, what were you thinking on that night? He didn't ask him, are you sorry for what you've done? Do you promise that will never happen again? Jesus asked him, do you love me? My beloved, Jesus didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon son of Jonah, very formal. Because he asked Peter or Simon at that time, do you really want to become Peter? Do you really want to enter into the calling that God has for your life? Do you want to be a Peter? The new name, the new direction, the new calling, the new destiny that God has for you? Do you love me? My beloved, time is flying, but let me conclude, draw some conclusions here. Peter said, I, of course I love you. You know me. I'm, I messed up, but you know that I love you. You know I was wrong. You know, you know me. You know what was going in my heart. You know my weaknesses. I got out and I cried bitterly. Unlike Judas, I cried, I repented because I love you, Jesus. And Jesus knew exactly that Peter loved him. Do you love, my beloved young brother and sister, do you love Jesus? Each time Jesus said the same thing, then get back in the game. Don't let sin have the last word. Go do what I ask you to do. Tend to my sheep, to my lambs. That forgiveness is not only for Peter. It's for you today. When Christ was hanging on a cross and he cried out, it is finished. In that painful crucifixion through the blood of the lamb, there is forgiveness for every sin that you confess to God. The only sin that is not forgiven is the one that you don't confess, that you carry as a burden on your conscience, on your mind, because God is love. Yes, he is righteous, and he wants us to learn. This is not cheap grace. He doesn't say to you and to me, yeah, keep on going, keep sinning because that's how my grace is multiplied. No. He wants me to learn from my mistakes, to grow and mature like Peter did. Get up this morning and drop on your knees at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus will tell you like he told Peter, follow me, I'm washing you. You are my lamb. You are my sheep. You're not a pig. The, pig, they, he, the pigs, they, come, they love to be in that mud. But you are a sheep. 
You feel sorry. You feel the burden. The Holy Spirit is leading you to the cross. And there is salvation. There is forgiveness. Because God knows that you love him. Continue to love. Grow into your love for Jesus, for God. Let the Holy Spirit take control of your life. Tell him every day, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. I don't want to get back into that muddy waters of sin and disobedience and rebellion. Because I love you. Follow Jesus because he loved us first. And we follow him because we love him back. That's grace. Hallelujah. Your sin doesn't have to have the final word, the final verdict. Just come back to Jesus because this is what God is all about. He sent Jesus to die for your sins, for my sins. And God the Father was in Jesus reconciling you and him together. That's what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. There's forgiveness in the blood of the Lamb. Come to the cross. Jesus loves you. Love him back.